Okay, please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. And I've made the case over the last several weeks. In fact, this will be broadcast number 23 for Acts of the Apostles as to the difficulty of trying to harmonize this incredible book. And I think it's fair to say that it is impossible to harmonize Acts of the Apostles. And I showed you very clearly from Acts 8, for example, how the eunuch believed was baptized, but didn't speak in tongues. Whereas from Acts chapter 10, Cornelius believed, spoke in tongues, and then he was baptized. On top of that, from Acts chapter 8, how the Samaritans believed, spoke in tongues, and were then baptized. But Paul the Apostle, thus far known as Saul of Tarsus, believed, was baptized, and did not speak in tongues. On top of that, I showed you very clearly how Calvinism has been debunked, Catholicism has been debunked, and Charismania has been debunked as well. I'm going to show you from today's broadcast how the two natures of the believer are found very clearly in Scripture. You might think to yourself, really? In Acts chapter 11, that's true. In fact, every great man has two natures, every great woman has two natures. But I'll come to that shortly. So let's start today's broadcast in Acts chapter 11, and I pray the Lord God will bless today's broadcast. I pray he will bless today's live stream, and I pray he will bless this message when it goes on the internet. Acts chapter 11, please. Let's start today, if we may, in verse 1. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Did you get that? And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea, Jerusalem, heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Jerusalem, of course, is the headquarters. Jerusalem would be the church, the first church of Jerusalem, if I can call it that. And the apostles and brethren are very much in the driving seat. And you think, why would that be? Well, because salvation is of the Jews. The Jews are the people of God. The Jews are the recipients of the oracles of God. And now Peter will be asked to give an explanation as to what has just occurred from Acts chapter 10. Two, and when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised, and as eat with them, just pictures for a moment, if you will. Peter, this great Jewish believer in the Messiah of Israel, a great man of God and yet very weak. What does the word of God tell us? How the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And here he's gone up to Jerusalem, the mother church, and they are contending with him. They are almost interrogating him as to what has just occurred in Acts chapter 10. You see, you have to understand one thing, that for the Jews, the Gentiles were unclean animals. And you get that clearly back in the Gospels on one occasion when the Syrophoenician woman approaches the Lord to cast out a devil from her Gentile daughter. And the Lord says, listen, I haven't come for the Gentiles yet. In other words, my ministry isn't yet for the Gentiles. My ministry is for the Jews, children of Israel. So don't be overly surprised if Peter is going to rehearse what is about to occur in reference to Cornelius and co. On top of that, to be fair to the Jews, they are probably perplexed, if not excited, that this great centurion has been added to the body of Christ, to jury. Four, but Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. A certain vessel descended, as it had been a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me, upon the which when I had fastened mine eyes, I considered, and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. 
expounded it. We use that term to expound the scripture. Rehearsed, verse 4. He knew this was coming. And he says, I was in the city of Joppa praying. He was, and in a trance I saw a vision. A certain vessel descended as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners and it came even to me. Now note this carefully. Note what Peter doesn't tell them. This will come under the sins of omission. Never mind sins of commission. In other words, never mind what you do. How about what you don't do? Hold that thought, if you will. He goes and say in verse 6 one more time, Upon the which, when I had fastened mine eyes, I considered, and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. Now, I, meant, I mentioned quite uh, thoroughly, when we went through Acts 10, took about two hours to cover the entire chapter as to what was going on there, and the Lord was simply breaking Peter down. He was trying to get him to transition from the Old Testament into the New Testament. On top of that, he wanted him to try and lose some of his Jewish upbringing. And I can't stress that enough because, to be fair to Peter, he's a godly Jew, he's a righteous man, and yet things are about to change. And I made the case last time, and I'll make it again today if I will, that we have to change as well. We have to put ourselves out. We have to speak to people that we wouldn't necessarily speak to. Seven. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. Did you get that? I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. Peter just changed the word of God. Did you notice that? From chapter 10, verse 13, And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. He's changed the word from kill to slay. You might think James being too pernickety. Not necessarily. The word slay is in reference to manslayer or manslaughter. There's a slight lesser connotation to it, whereas the word kill is in reference to put to death, premeditated perhaps. So here, the Apostle Peter has changed the word of God. And my Bible tells me from Revelation 22 that if we change any word of scripture, the Lord will not only take our place out of New Jerusalem, he will also add the plagues that are found in Revelation to us. Scripture cannot be broken. This goes back to what I said at the beginning of this message, how great men and great women have two natures. And here you've just discovered Peter changing the word of God. And I'm not going to stand this morning and say that he lost his salvation. I don't believe that. And you won't find any Catholic, Protestant or Greek or Russian Orthodox telling you that Peter just lost his salvation. But technically speaking, he has changed the word of God. Eight. But I said, not so, Lord. For nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. And you may say to yourself, why would he change the word of God? Well, because he doesn't want to be seen to be too quick to abandon jury. But he's quite happy to tell you in verse 8 that he was arguing with the Lord in reference to the fact that he hadn't eaten anything unclean prior to Acts chapter 10. And I made the case very clearly that had he been drinking blood, had he been consuming certain substances which he shouldn't shouldn't have been consuming then he wouldn't have been able to say to the lord he had never done this before that of course goes back to john 6 in reference to transubstantiation and i made the case some weeks ago from first corinthians 8 how meat doesn't commend us to the lord if you're a vegetarian you're not spiritually stronger or greater or purer than a meat eater and the same is true if you are a meat eater you're not stronger purer or holier than a vegetarian the Lord doesn't care what you eat or what you don't eat. It's all about grace. It's about an imputed righteousness. And like I said at the beginning of this message, you are getting a snapshot here as to how the two natures in the believer work. 
When I got saved 13 years ago, or just around 13 years ago, nearly 14 years now, I loved Italian food. I still do. I love coffee. I still do. And the Bible says uh, that when we get saved, we are a new creature, new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. That's true. Our spirit has been regenerated. But we're still the same person. If you came to the Lord blind, you're still blind. If you came to the Lord as a black man or black woman, you're still a black man or black woman. If you came to the Lord as a five foot six woman, you're still a five foot six woman. You don't change in that sense. But your spirit is born again. Your spirit is regenerated. But you still have the old nature. That which I don't want to do, I do. And what I want to do, I don't do. Romans 7, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I haven't yet attained to perfection. Philippians chapter 3, that is still very much the case. Go back to the Old Testament. If you get a chance, look at the Old Testament greats, men and women, falling, stumbling, but they're still saved. And that's why as Bible believers, we can worship Jesus Christ because he is and he was and he will forever be almighty God. But hold that thought, please. I'm not yet through. Verse 9. But the voice answered me again from heaven. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. That's profound. He's saying, listen, Peter, you've been a good Jew for many years. But now the time has come for you to put yourself out. And he does. But did you notice what Peter didn't tell you in this piece of scripture thus far? He doesn't mention to the men at Jerusalem, the other apostles and brethren, about Simon the Tanner. He completely admits that he was with Simon the Tanner when Cornelius and co. sent for him. And you 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 say to yourself, why would he do that? Because it doesn't look particularly good for a Jewish apostle to be hanging around with a man that skins dead animals. It doesn't give a good impression, does it? I gave the analogy last time of a vegetarian hanging around a butcher's shop or a reformed alcoholic working in a bar It doesn't look right, does it? Or somebody hanging around a tattoo parlour. The impression doesn't feel right. And here Peter knows what's going to happen. And this crowd of people in Jerusalem are going to be reoccurring in Acts 15 and Galatians chapter 2. And you're told in the word of God that some of these brethren went out from James. And they were preaching to the Gentiles that they would have to keep the law in order to be saved that they would have to be circumcised in order to be saved, that they would have to abstain from certain foods in order to be saved. That's works righteous. That's a false gospel. And that's why Paul made it so very clear in Galatians chapter 1, that if we, the apostles, or an archangel, preach any other gospel unto you than what you have received of us, let him or her be accursed. Let him or her be anathema. I can't stress it enough. And I've used that scripture from Galatians to put the Mormons down, to put the Muslims down, to put the Catholics down, but technically I'll leave it as it is and say that that is against works righteousness. That is against bringing something else into the equation when it comes to the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 10. And all this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. To be fair to Peter, I'll say this, that he's being economical with the truth. And you might say to yourself, well, maybe Dr. Luke isn't going to record the entire conversation. Well, if that's the case, you're arguing from silence. I think it's quite obvious to me that Peter has been economical with the truth. Technically, he has changed the word of God from Acts 10, 13. And he's also admitted his temporary accommodation in reference to staying with Simon the Tanner. And that's the two natures of the believe, my friends. I don't care who you are, how long you've been saved, you have an old nature and you have a new nature. And I 
back in 2007. Got hold of a great book called The Life and Diary of David Brainard. It's on my desk right now, and I'm looking at it. And if you want to get a good understanding as to how the two natures in the believer work, get a hold of that book, please. David Brainard, for those that don't know, was a great man of God sent to the Native Americans in the 18th century, and he died less than 30 years of age. He almost sacrificed his life to witness and win the Native Americans to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was a very tough ministry for him, a very tough outreach, and uh, he was going to marry one of Jonathan Edwards' daughters, but it didn't happen, and he was pretty much consigned to an early death when he arrived in Pennsylvania. Get that book, read it. That's the clearest work, the probably the clearest description of as, as to how the two natures in the believer work. We are complex people. Listen to me now, please. Those of us which are born again are complex people. And if you don't believe me, ask your husband or your wife. Ask your children. Ask anybody who's close to you who's also born again how you're doing. And they'll tell you that you might be good here, you might be good there, but you still fall short on this point or that point. We're complex people. And we have the problem of the two natures. And Peter was no exception. Even Paul, later on, will be told not to go up to Jerusalem. And yet he still goes up to Jerusalem. And Galatians 2, Paul will once again find him having to straighten out the Apostle Peter. In reference to associating with Jewish brethren and telling those, or the Jewish brethren and Peter telling, believing Gentiles to once again abstain from foods, do this, do that, in order to be good so-called Christians. It's heresy. It's works righteousness. And yet people say, well, if you sin willfully, there's no more sacrifice to sin, but a fearful falling away of judgments and a fire indignation. If we crucify the Son of God to afresh, we've lost our salvation. That's what these people teach. And I say, well, if that's the case, what about Peter? Had you lost it? If you don't believe me, look at Revelation 22. Look what happens to anybody who changes the word of God. Peter's done it. And he's also admitted to tell you about Simon the Tanner. I don't believe one moment that we can lose our salvation now it is possible we can lose our fellowship and go on to lose rewards but what i'm really getting from these verses is the complexity of how saved people think and function peter doesn't want to fall out of fellowship with the brethren in judea in jerusalem he doesn't want to lose face and on top of that he doesn't want to give the appearance of denying jury he doesn't want people to think that somehow he's turned his back on Judaism. That shows the complexity of mankind, saved mankind, and it also shows the problem that Peter was experiencing. He loved Israel, he loved Jehovah, and yet at the same time, he almost falls into the same trap from Galatians 1 that, do I please men or God, Paul speaking, let God be true, and if man a liar. I think it's fair to say that Peter is on the cusp, on the brink of being a man pleaser. But he's still saved. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Let's move on. Verse 11 please. And behold immediately. There were three men already come unto the house where I was. Sent from Caesarea unto me. Still no mention of Simon the Tanner. I'm going to keep driving this point home. Because I get sometimes sick and tired of speaking to self-righteous people. That don't think they have an old nature. Oh yes you do. And if you don't think you do. You are kidding yourself. You're in denial. 12. And the Spirit bade me go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, 
who shall tell thee these words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. All thy house shall be saved, if they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot get infant baptism from this scripture. Those that went up to meet Peter from the house of Cornelius were grown men, adults, that had already believed in the one true God, but they weren't yet born again. Hence, while they are being sent to Peter to hear the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes our sovereign grace people, our friends from Calvinism, will say, there you are, you see, the Lord is only going to be drawing certain people unto him. Don't be so quick to accept that line of thinking. While it's true that Philip was sent to the Ethiopian eunuch, and while it's true that Ananias was sent to Saul of Tarsus, and while it's true that Cornelius sent for Peter, go back to Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. There are thousands of people getting saved by hearing the word of God. I think sometimes our Calvinist brethren get ahead of themselves and they put the cart before the horse. The Lord can be sovereign and man can have a free will at the same time. But I don't want to get too deep and try and harmonize the two. It's hard enough harmonizing the book of Acts. It's hard enough harmonizing the epistles with the gospels. It's hard enough harmonizing the epistles with the Old Testament. But like I said last time, I don't want to overly dissect these scriptures and lose the simplicity of Christ. I'm simply drawing to your attention how complex man is. Whether you're a woman or a man, whether you've been saved five years, ten years, fifteen years, it makes no difference. You are complex and you have an old nature. And that old nature is at enmity against God. That old nature hates God. That old nature doesn't want to read the Bible. That old nature doesn't want to go on the streets when it's cold and give out tracts or when it's hot. That old nature wants to sit back and do the least possible. The spirit is willing in reference to a saved man or woman, but the flesh, your body, is weak. And I'm going to make that point throughout this chapter because I think it's important to do so. But Simon has just made it very clear that the Holy Spirit told him to head up to see Cornelius. And he says, these six brethren, brothers, accompanied me. And it's interesting, those six brothers don't even mention about Simon the Tanner. Maybe they weren't aware of it, I don't know. But the focus I'm really zooming in on this morning is on what Peter doesn't tell you. The sin of omission and the changing of the word of God. And 14, he says, who shall tell thee these words, that's the word of God, of course, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. They have to believe. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you get baptized. But you're saved by believing and then you are baptized. If you've got children, don't baptize them. Don't bring them up to the altar to receive a blessing, which is what happens in Presbyterian churches. If you are born again, you are a living epistle and your children will see Christ in you. And if they don't see Christ in you, they won't see it any other way. So don't get uh, infant baptism from this piece of scripture. They have to believe in order to be saved. 15. And as they began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But just bear with me one more time, please, that Cornelius and co. were Gentiles, and at least one, Cornelius, had converted to Judaism. So he is a proselyte, and yet he's not yet saved. And that's why we, as Bible believers, need to witness to the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. Don't think that because somebody's a Jew, that they're good to go. I'm afraid they're not. They too need to be born again. 16. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, 
but she's to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. In my mind, I think Peter still very much focused on John the Baptist's ministry. We know from scripture that Peter was a disciple of John. So he's still got that sort of baggage, can I use that term, from Matthew chapter 3, repent and bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. He's come, you know, he's come from that background along with at least one of his brothers, whereas Paul doesn't have that baggage. Paul didn't come from the background of being a disciple of John the Baptist. Now, I think Paul would have known of John the Baptist. I think it's fair to say that Paul would have known of Jesus Christ pre the crucifixion. I think it's quite obvious. But Paul was not a disciple of John the Baptist. But Peter was, and Peter is still trying to work out what is going on. This is what we call progressive revelation. There's no gospel of the grace of God yet revealed to anyone. And yet, unlike our hyper-dispensational brethren, the eunuch got saved, the Samaritans got saved, Simon the sorcerer, not sure the Jewish outs on him, Cornelius got saved, Saul of Tarsus got saved by believing. But an explicit reference to Christ's blood atonement won't come until much later in the book of Acts. So here, Peter will take the time to explain to the brethren at Jerusalem what exactly has occurred. And that's why he says in 16 one more time, Then remembered I the word of the Lord. How that he said, John indeed baptized with water. There's your H2O, water baptism. But water puts you into water, but the Spirit puts you into the Spirit. But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. In reference to the Apostles, Acts chapter 1. And I believe, for those that don't know my view on this, that the Apostles were saved back in the Gospels by receiving an imputed righteousness. But they weren't born again until Acts chapter 1. 17. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I should withstand God? The like gift, 17, is eternal life, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, faith alone. There's no works involved here. The just shall live by faith. What was I that I could withstand God? It's all faith alone. So Peter is trying to grapple with this. He's trying to explain to the brethren at Jerusalem what is going on. He doesn't want to lose face. And yet at the same time, he has been economical with the truth. I'm being fair to him when I say that. But if you change the word of God, watch out. And if you omit to be faithful, if you omit to do certain things, watch out. Because the Lord will hold you accountable. And I close today's broadcast in verse 18. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying... Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. That is profound. Acts 5, the Lord God grants repentance to the Jews. So there's no excuse for the Jews not being saved, in spite of the fact that they killed their prophets back in the Old Testament, in spite of the fact that their kings killed their prophets back in the Old Testament, in spite of the fact that they rejected their Messiah in the New Testament, God Almighty has still granted the Jews repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. He's drawn all men unto him. I'll not explain that more next week. But here the context is in reference to the Gentiles. Then hath God also to the Gentiles, that's you and I, even not a Jew, granted repentance unto life. There's no excuse for you. You can't say, well, the Lord hasn't saved me. He hasn't made it possible for me to be saved. Yes, he has. And if you die outside of the cross, if you die outside of Christ, you will go to hell forever. And you can't say in hell, why am I here? I shouldn't be here. Nobody told me about the Lord. You've got a conscience. You've got revelation. And you've got the scripture. He has granted repentance to you. And repentance means a change of mind, a change of attitude. 
and I'll expound on that more next week. But it's great because it says they held their peace, those in Jerusalem, and glorified God. What else could you do? Saying, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. The ball is in your court, my friends. If you're not saved, the ball is in your court. Come to the cross in order to be saved. Turn to him in faith and be saved. It takes only a few seconds to be saved. I remember listening to a preacher some years ago. He's now dead. He was what we call a holiness preacher. And he said, I couldn't wash my car in the amount of time it would take for somebody to be saved. That's a foolish statement. You can be saved in seconds. And I'll show you from Acts 16 how the Philippian jailer was saved within seconds. But living for the Lord, being a faithful disciple, is a whole different ballgame. So there you are, 18 verses from Acts chapter 11. And you see very clearly, I hope, the two natures of the believer. But if you're slightly concerned that you have strayed from the Lord, confess your sins to him. First John says he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Just be straight with the Lord. Speak to him like you speak to somebody you know. Be honest with him. He knows that you've already sinned. He knows you've already erred and confessed your sins to him. But there you are. Peter, saved, good man, godly. Two natures like you, complex like you, loves the Lord like you, but he's a man pleaser. He's trying to keep up with the Joneses. He doesn't want to lose face amongst his peers like you, like me. And there you get the sin of omission. Never mind the sins that you do. How about the sins that you don't do? Or how about the things you should do? That's going to be the, the big issue for most of us at the judgment seat of Christ. And I am concerned about the things that I don't do that I should do. The sin of omission. But I'll cover that more during our broadcast next week.